Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 372 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff. I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. So excited to have Scott Beck and Pat Gelsinger on the podcast today. Introduce you to those leaders in a few moments, but we're going to talk about technology, the church, and the future. This episode is brought to you by Remodel Health. You can visit remodelhealth.com forward slash carry today to learn how your organization can save in healthcare and get access to a whole host of free resources. And by ServeHQ, you can learn more about ServeHQ's new homeschool magnet student experience by going to homeschoolmagnet.com and join the growing wait list. Well, uh, yeah, we live in a really fascinating season. And one of the things, one of my little hobbies has always been to follow Silicon Valley. I don't know why. I I guess I'm an early adopter when it comes to technology. That's just kind of how I'm wired. And so it was really fascinating to sit down and have a conversation with Pat Gelsinger and with Scott Beck. So uh, Scott's been on the podcast before, and I brought him back uh, because I wanted to talk to him and to Pat Gelsinger about um, the future church, how to connect with people watching your church online, and why so many church leaders resist tech. So give you a little bit of bio. So uh, Pat is a Silicon Valley titan. He is currently the CEO of VMware, which you may have heard of, and the former CTO of Intel. And uh, man, he's got an awful lot. He's a Stanford University grad. He uh, also has a bachelor's degree from Santa Clara University. He is an engineer who graduated summa cum laude and uh, has had, well, a hand in shaping things that you may have heard of like uh, USB and Wi-Fi. Yeah, he actually was driving the creation of those technologies. And so he's got four decades. His time even goes back to uh, a role as the architect of the original 8486 processor. Some of us remember 486 computers. Yeah, and that was like a big moment. Anyway, he's got decades of experience and um, he's been CEO of VMware since 2012. Scott Beck is the co-founder and the CEO of Glue. He spent 40 years learning about scaling businesses and supporting champions. Uh, As the CEO of Glue, he's putting that experience to work. Uh, by doing a number of different things. He has been the vice chairman and COO of Blockbuster Entertainment. We talk about walking into the first store. He scaled it to thousands of stores and sold it to Viacom. He's the uh, chairman and CEO of Boston Markets and founder of and chairman of the Einstein Noah Bagel Corp. You may recognize that chain. He's the founding investor and board member of Ancestry.com founding investor in homeadvisors.com. He's partnered in over 50 venture technology companies and among other things is the partner and vice chairman of Pacific Dental Services, uh, nearly $2 billion in revenue there and served as a board member for many not-for-profit entities. Both of these leaders have a heart for technology and the kingdom of God and we talk all about that today. So I think this is a fascinating conversation 
Um, hey, if you are working on your budget for 2021, what are you doing for healthcare? Do you know listeners of this podcast, this is an updated figure, have saved $2.1 million in the last 18 months on healthcare premiums, and they've reinvested all of that back into ministry, and they've done it through Remodel Health. So sometimes, you know, you have to cut back on benefits to save money. Not in this case. Most churches and not-for-profits discover that they can offer the same level of benefits or greater benefits, enhanced benefits, for less money, and they plow the savings back into ministry. If you're interested in more, Remodel Health's benefit consultants can run a free analysis for your unique team to help you evaluate all your options. Just go to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry. That's where you learn more. You can also get a free savings calculator, church buyer's guide, and brand new ebook. And also, you guys know probably about ServeHQ, longtime listeners do. They do a lot of good work, and they've got a brand new option for homeschool families we want to tell you about. So homeschooling is on the rise. A lot of parents are overwhelmed right now, and that's why they're introducing Homeschool Magnet. It's for parents just like you. Homeschool Magnet supports homeschooling families by providing students with instruction from world-class credentialed teachers in a remote classroom with their peers. So parents choose the best teachers for each student based on values and teaching approach to ensure every child is receiving the education you desire. This puts you as a parent in full control. So uh, students are going to learn in the four core subject areas of math, English, language, arts, science, and social studies. But ultimately, you have the freedom to involve your student in as much or as little learning as they prefer based on each student's goals. So uh, other online schools exist, but Homeschool Magnet is unique. They have robust online learning environment. Uh, each student works from real physical learning materials guided by video instruction. Homeschool Magnet is only a fraction of the cost of private schools, and they have a 30-day money-back guarantee. Plus, it's a semester-by-semester basis, so you're only making a commitment five months at a time, giving you a lot more flexibility. So if you're interested, you can go to homeschoolmagnet.com and join the growing wait list. And for teachers who maybe want a little more freedom, uh, they're also looking for you too. So uh, head on over to homeschoolmagnet.com. Uh, forward slash four teachers to learn more and apply. So, so excited to bring you all of these new ventures. By the way, in this conversation with Pat and Scott, we talk about a new technology, a new solution they're offering called, uh, what we call it in the interview, is People Connect. That name has actually changed and you won't find it online, okay? So uh, it's now called Glue Connect. And if you're interested in more, you can actually find it online at glueconnect.church forward slash carry. That's glueconnect.church forward slash carry. Well, with all that said, here is my conversation with Pat Gelsinger and Scott Beck. Well, Scott and Pat, it's a privilege to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Very good to be here. Thank you so much, Carrie. And uh, with my buddy, Scott, we're uh, happy to join. Yeah. Yeah. I'm delighted to be here as well, Carrie. Well, Scott, you're now uh, a second time guest. So first time you were on with David Kinneman as we rolled out Church Pulse Weekly. And uh, so leaders have a brief bio of each of you already, but I'd love to know, just give us like in your own words, because sometimes you get this like really complicated bio and it's like, okay, but if someone was just to ask you, what do you do? What do each of you do? And what have you done? <laughs> well, I'm a tech guy who was uh, born a farm boy, uh, came to Christ uh, young in my uh, career, and uh, thought uh, God was calling me into ministry. And then he said, the workplace is your ministry. And uh, going from a little tech 
up to a CEO, you know, a passion for tech, but a passion for Christ and how tech can uh, truly be used to bring every person to a uh, first knowledge of uh, Jesus and him as savior. Hmm. That's a great story. And, and some of the firms you've worked for? Uh, 30 years with Intel. Uh, and uh, so I, as I, as I joke, I went through puberty at Intel. Uh, I started at <laughs> I started at 18 and uh, went from the entryest level of tech uh, up to being uh, second in command uh, at Intel, then over to EMC and now CEO of uh, VMware for the last uh, eight years. And what does VMware do? I think most most people have heard of it. I've heard of it, but yeah, basically software that runs data centers. Every cloud uses this kind of software. Every data center uses us. But increasingly, we're connecting every device. We're helping people build applications. But it's really that magic that goes inside of all the tech that everybody is using every day. Yeah. And Scott, fascinating uh, bio since we've gotten to know each other over the last, uh, well, over this year, really. Tell us tell us a little bit. What do you do and what have you done? Yeah, thanks, Gary. Um, well, Teresa and I started uh, you know, our career early on with some brand names. Like we were at Blockbuster from store number one till store 5,000 and you know, had the the opportunity to be the president and vice chairman, chief operating officer there. And also had, as you said, you know, Einstein bagels and scaled that as well as some other technology businesses that people are aware of, um, home advisors or ancestry.com involved in those. But during that whole time, we were also involved in uh, a lot of uh, different uh, ministry um, efforts, uh, family life, um, to help relationships, uh, crew on, on, on campus, uh, local churches, recovery. We did a lot in recovery and recovery centers. So we've just been on that dual track for the last 35 to 40 years. And 10 years ago, Teresa and I decided to full-time go focus on bringing technology and capabilities into churches, into parachurches, into recovery centers. And that's the journey that we've been on. And, and then it was about, you know, six years ago that then Pat joined in that journey and Linda uh, with, with Teresa and I. And so we've been then jointly on that journey uh, here for the last uh, five or six years. Why did you make that switch? Because it's always fascinating to me what motivates people, right? You both had the level of success and you both had probably the freedom to do whatever you want. And you could easily, if you chose at this stage in life, be in a yacht sailing around the world for the rest of your days. And you've chosen not to do that. I would just love to know why you decided to do this venture with Glue, with People Connect, and, and even to continue this, this, this run in this direction. Um, yeah, no, it, it's simple. Uh, you know, we, we feel like our, our, our calling, our opportunity is to basically use our skills, our capabilities to be able to serve into these personal growth ecosystems. Um, there's nothing more important today in our mind than to be able to make sure that the smallest recovery center, the smallest church has got the world-class capabilities to be able to leverage the technologies that have been created for the purposes that they're trying to accomplish. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's what, what we want to live our, our lives for is to be able to make a difference for these organizations. And so that's the primary driver. And, um, you know, we've had, we've had great, great partners all along the way and great, great success uh, getting to this point. And now as we're launching People Connect, which makes it 
incredibly accessible to you know every small church and 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 every small organization that's out there trying to help a person grow. Um, we're just excited about the moment. I, I, what about for you? What what motivates you to get involved with an endeavor like this, Pat? Well, I, you know, I like to be involved in creating things that matter. And you know, 14 generations of microprocessors with Intel helping to create USB and Wi-Fi. Literally, uh, you know, my life mission is, uh, you know, work on a piece of technology that touches every human on the planet and every modality of life. And that that may hasten the day of Christ's return, right? You know, that, that you really are touching humanity. And I've helped to create ministries like Transforming the Bay with Christ uh, here, uh, City Gospel Movement in the Bay, uh, Super Evolved with Stadia, you know, church planting across the nation, you know, things that matter. And when Scott approached, it was like, how do we bridge this world of a tech-hesitant church community but the power of technology being harnessed by the church. And to me, that was really that intersection and why we got involved with Glue. How can we help bridge that world? Because, you know, ever since the time of Christ, you know, the church has been maybe a little bit hesitant. But once again, the Great Commission was never a statement of the how, but the what. Go and make disciples. And it's our job to figure out the how to do so. And this idea of harnessing technology to help, you know, that's a passion that we uh, deeply have. You see, it's, it's really interesting what you're saying, Pat, because there were two thoughts that came together that I rarely hear together. And I'm going to paraphrase it, but you said basically take the best of technology and use it to help people uh, meet Christ or hasten Christ's return or whatever the kingdom and uh, you also mentioned that the church community is tech hesitant. I would agree with that. So I've, I've written a bunch of stuff on church online in 2020 since COVID. I have for a long time. I've uh, been writing in that area. But uh, I mean, I've, I've waded through and responded to some of thousands, tens of thousands of comments this year. And I would agree. The, the Christian community seems to be a little bit, we're all on our iPhones going, I don't know whether really technology is here to stay. Can you speak into that a little bit? Because I, I, I think it's a really fascinating paradox. Well, imagine that we're here in 1500 and our name is Martin Luther. Right. And the greatest invention of that era happened just uh, two decades before, right? The printing press. Mm-hmm. And we said, oh, you know, we really shouldn't put the word of God in printed form because it really should only come for a properly trained priest. You know, so let's not create the Bible, right? In printed yes. form in people's language. You know, that's about as preposterous as saying, let's not embrace technology to further the church because we should really only do church when we can hug you, touch you, and have the physical touch as well. Don't you agree, Carrie? <laughs> no, right? Yeah. You know, Martin Luther embraced the technology of the day and he changed mankind. He brought education. Right. You know, it became the foundations of the Renaissance and he broke the evil cabal of the church being used for political and power purposes. You know, that defined an entire era by embracing technology for the purpose of the kingdom. And to me, you know, as people come online and Facebooks and Googles and so on, you know, it's redefining our social networks. Of course, the church should embrace it. Right. We should passionately be saying, wow, a new way to reach people. You know, we have almost half of the population of the planet is in church-restricted areas. And we're not going to use technology to reach 
you know, into China, oh, reach into point. Muslim and Islamic uh, custom, uh, uh, countries. And church is limited today by the capital of the edifices that we're building. God didn't, you know, Christ didn't command us to go build churches. He said, go make disciples, hmm. right? You know, and to think that we're limiting by, you know, the capital that we're putting into buildings, right? And the whole COVID crisis to me, all of a sudden churches couldn't meet physically, right? And I think it's a bit of a kick in the pants to the church to say, of course, you should be using digital technologies because your church can reach more people. You can do so more cost effectively. And literally the planet becomes part of your potential church. Wow. What's your take on that, Scott? Um, like, do you sense the reticence sometimes in certain leaders to embrace technology? Yeah, for sure. Uh, there, and and I, I agree totally with what, what what Pat just said. And 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 you know what? But what I would what I would add to it is this, Carrie. What's really important is technology has to reflect the right design. For mm-hmm. instance, the technology needs to needs to support bring superpowers to a relational interaction. Right. Okay. Because it's relationship that catalyzes growth and it's relationship that causes us. So most technology is built to disintermediate the person. No, we need to bring the technology with the design to actually bring superpowers to that relational interaction, allow those relational interactions to get scaled. Okay. That's the, that, that's the, that's the difference. And when, when, when I think when people start to see that, that, that the design is to facilitate the relational interaction, okay. Online, then offline, either way, always, then I think all of a sudden hesitancy starts to come down because it feels right. It feels, it feels real. And so, you know, I think, I think that's just an important thing is that we have to bring technology into the right design in order for it to be used for personal growth and for God's purposes. Hmm. So, Pat, I mean, uh, it would be fun to have two hours with either of you. And some point you'll come back solo, I hope, on the podcast. But I've got to ask, like, seriously, when I saw in your bio that you help pioneer things like USB and Wi-Fi, like that's like... People almost see that as a human right these days, right? Like Wi-Fi, <laughs> access to technology. And to think that you were actually involved in the creation of USB and Wi-Fi. I'd love for you to look back on your four decades in Silicon Valley in tech. And what have been some of the breakthroughs that you've seen? Because I've, I've been a student of Silicon Valley. I've made the pilgrimage a few times in the last few years, you know, walked the streets, saw Steve Jobs' house and, you know, uh, met with some of the, the leaders in Silicon Valley and has just been fascinated following that story. Um, but there are pivot points, times where technology takes quantum leaps forward. I would love for you just to outline a few of those for our listeners, because some of them are really young. We have a lot of young listeners here and they don't remember a time where there wasn't Wi-Fi and there wasn't (laughs) USB. And now we're talking to the guy who helped create that. Well, you know, I I think the, you know, the first one you'd have to go back and look at is truly semiconductor, silicon, Gordon Moore, Moore's law. And this idea. Can you go through Moore's law? This is fascinating. I'm not sure everybody would know what that is, but it is it is a fascinating yeah. concept. Yeah, basically, in the earliest days when silicon you know chips were just starting to get underway, he predicted this doubling of computing power every two years. 
right? Which, yeah. you know, it's sort of like, huh, you know, you, you double every two years for a decade and all of a sudden, right, you know, you're two orders of magnitude greater in capacity, right? In those early days, it was sort of like, wow, you know, li- literally, if I do nothing, I'm going to get twice as much two years from now. And then the next two years, you know, this ability has enabled us to literally, when you have your iPhone in your pocket today, you have over a hundred times the computing power that NASA used to get the first man to the moon. Wow. Carried in your pocket, right? And you're sort of like, wow, right? Literally, I can bring computing to everything. And that's what we've been seeing for the last 40 years. Has Moore's law held true over the years? Like it's about a doubling still? Um, it's, it's starting to flatten, right? Okay. We're hitting some physical limits uh, at this point in time, uh, which will bring us to the third breakthrough in a second, yeah. which I'll talk to, right? But the first one, this idea of being able to just radically increase computing capabilities in silicon and, uh, you know, just, just magic what we can carry in our pockets now. You know, the second, and this is sort of where USB and Wi-Fi come in, the idea that we can connect everything. Right. Where, you know, literally, and you know, as, I, as I say in my mission statement is that we will you know, bring technology to every human on the planet. Today, we're a little bit over 50% of the planet is now persistently connected to the Internet. By 2030, that number is 90% of humanity will be persistently connected. You know, about 10 billion people that are connected, plus all of the things that they're connected to uh, as well. Right. You know, whether it's my smart uh, thermostats or, you know, my autonomous uh, cars, we're connecting everything. So now you have I can bring capabilities computing to everything. I can now connect everything. And I think today we're seeing the third grade breakthrough literally. And what do you do with all that connectivity and data? That's in the area of AI, where literally I can now bring intelligence as a result of computing and connectivity. I can bring intelligence to everything where it becomes predictive, it becomes smart. You know, I can uh, truly be, you know, oh, Carrie likes this stuff. Well, show him more of this stuff, right. right? You know, right. This machine is starting to go out of maintenance. Let's take predictive actions, you know, for it before it breaks. Huh, you know, you're now going into a high-risk neighborhood. Let's reroute you right now because there's some things going on in those street areas. We'll give you a safer route. Right uh, today, all of these things now become possible as we bring literally intelligence to everything. And I sort of joke about: imagine tomorrow morning, you know, when your smart device wakes you up an hour earlier and says you had a heart irregularity last night. You know, I needed to get you up early. I've loaded the directions into your car. You know, I've uploaded all your biomedical uh, to your physician. You know, I we're running the complete DNA sequencing of your medical against that information. It will be fully completed by the time you reach the doctor. You know, we're running you past your favorite Starbucks on the way. I moved your order from your normal Starbucks to this one, and I made a decaf because you are going to the doctor. All those things. <laughs> all those things are in the next decade and wow. you know that type of things of touching every aspect of humanity right as we bring i think these three great you know breakthroughs together compute everything connect everything and bring intelligence uh, to everything and to me you know after 40 years in technology i think we're just getting started i'm as fired wow. up now as i was 40 years ago so I gotta, I gotta just go there. And by the way, I have in this box. I open it on the weekend. Uh, my new Series Six Apple Watch. So I think it does that whole heart rate thing. I think, I think it does. I don't know. I got my Aura Ring on, so I'm. Oh, what is that? Tell me about that. Oh, 
it's it's better than a watch, right? Okay. Because you know here this is about you charge it once a week and it includes all your biometric sleep patterns, everything, you know, heart rates, uh, temperatures, etc. Yeah, O U R A. You know, and this is not a marketing program for or, no, 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 so, no. You know, to me, it's been life changing. Isn't that interesting? Now, I just, I just got to be honest with you. A lot of people would find that creepy. Um, the Social Dilemma came out this year. I don't know that you've had a chance to see it or not, but if you follow Tristan Harris, I'm sure you're both aware of Tristan's work and other people like that who I've tracked for a few years. People are like, whoa, this feels like Big Brother. Um, Scott, you and I have had lots of conversations about um, privacy and the importance of protecting that. Can you just um, speak into people's fears over that kind of technology and how big brother-ish it feels? Like, what do we need to be afraid of? What do we not need to be afraid of? I'd love both of your takes on that. The, uh, you know, clearly, you know, when I think about it as three things need to come together, right? You know, clearly, you know, technology needs to protect your privacy, mm-hmm. right? You know, and of course, you know, hey, we need to have good security and, you know, it has to be increasingly built into uh, everything. You know, but then you need to have the public discourse as well, right? You know, these trade-offs, because it's not clear, you know, at what point, you know, if I can predict COVID, but I need to track your behavior, right? You know, is that good or bad for humanity? Yeah. These yeah. are tough trade-offs, right? You know, and they should be properly debated uh, in it. And then you need the privacy advocates, you know, they need to be sitting at that table as well. So, you know, I have government technologists and uh, privacy or civil rights advocates, they need to sit at the table and come to the right judgments. And then, you know, whatever the specialty is, if it's a healthcare, they need to be at the table, right? If it's financial services, they need to be sitting at the table because these things, you can't predict them a priori, right? Because all of a sudden a new technology breakthrough happens. We then need to go through the discourse again, Right. You know, and, and, and over and over in time as technology helps shape public uh, policy. And, you know, for that, I'd say, you know, I, uh, I chastise my own technology peers. You need to be far more concerned and on the front foot. We can't be, you know, as I call us cowboys, you know, you know, we're sitting over here in Silicon Valley. We do some great innovation. You know, oh, Washington might uh, do something bad to prevent our industry. You know, let's ride like cowboys and shoot them up in D.C. No, right. We have to be actively involved. And I call it technology as a force for good. We have to be constantly saying, how do we shape technology because it's, you know, this pliable Plato-like thing. And every day we have to be saying, oh, cool breakthrough, you know, blockchains and AI. Now, how do I make it a force for good? And we need to bring that social conscious into the very fabric of how technology is developed and how it's delivered to every consumer on the planet in every modality of life. I think it makes an interesting point, Pat, because I've thought about that. I, I uh, you know, I've been tracking this for a while, thinking about the ethics of what technology does, but also the ethics of what I do as a podcaster, author, you know, blogger, and the content gets access a lot, um, millions of times a year. And uh, I'm like, okay, so we all absent the technology sphere, and that really leaves it to the bad actors, doesn't it? Is that is that mm-hmm. like a simplistic way of thinking? Like if the good people disappear yeah. from the internet, if the church disappears from the internet, if Christians disappear, <laughs> like, is that simplistic to think about that? Yeah, it, it is one of my fears and why I think church stepping back from any technology discussion actually weakens the technology view, right, you know, for that exact reason. And, hey, I think some things are bad today. 
you know, mm-hmm. Facebook's business model is a pariah on humanity because mm-hmm. they keep probing, probing deeper into your social network to have more accurate uh, advertising and reach. Hmm. Yeah, I have a problem with that. Yeah. Right? And so should you. Right. You know, I believe. Right. At the same time, hey, you know, but it needs to be debated in this public policy uh, agenda to help shape it for good, because we've also seen there's so much benefit right, to being able to have connectivity and social network in the technology realm uh, as well. And, uh, you know, for that, the more we step back from it, the less influential we the church are in it. And that's part of the reason I say, boy, you know, I want the church to be first and foremost on these technology trends. Yeah. And it's interesting to me that, you know, when people get interviewed on this in, in, in the press or, you know, even technology publications or sites or, or documentaries, uh, there's no theologians. Like we should be leading the ethical conversation and I'm not sure we're up to it, you know? And it's really interesting to me that, that theology and philosophy has now given way to uh, other factors that are, that are debating this. And it's usually ex-employees that end up going, you know, waving the flag. Yeah. And I think, you know, very much, you know, the theologians, the philosophers, the privacy experts, the politicians and those responsible for the social fabric of our nation and business leaders. I wasn't trained as a theologian, but I'm making theological, philosophical and policy decisions every day and how I'm shaping technology. Yeah. And, you know, Carrie, let me just add add Mm -hmm. on. So as, as Pat and I think about about glue and how do we bring infrastructures and capabilities into not just the churches, but the recovery centers that interact with the churches, the parachurches that interact with the churches, the community service organizations, to that entire connected network, as Pat was talking about it. You know, as, as we said, it's all about personal growth and growth requires engagement. Okay. Engagement we've talked about is powered by relationship. Mm-hmm. All right. There's no relationship that works without being known. Okay. You have to allow yourself to be known in a relationship. Otherwise, it's not going anywhere. Right. And the foundation that sits below being known is trust. Okay. Mm. So at the basis of the entire glue architecture, it is about trust. Okay. Mm-hmm. Glue's infrastructures bring HIPAA compliance. Like, like for, like for a doctor's office. Yeah, we what bring, does that mean? HIPAA that means that, you know, you, you have control over your data. You have to right. grant a, a right for one doctor to share data with another doctor or with even your wife. Right. Right. And, and, and that same kind of capability consent, those consent architectures exist at glue. You know, the GDPR or the CCPA, and those are the European uh, standards and the California uh, uh, Privacy Act standards. We bake that into our infrastructures. So when a church adopts blue, they actually gain privacy. They gain security. They gain trust. Right. And that's just architected into what we do, because it's one of the things that 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 a small church can't do on its own. Right. So it's got to be able to leverage the power of these collective infrastructures that allow them to get the privacy and the security, the connectivity that Pat was talking about, the access to the, all of that, that processing capability. And that's why we're doing glue. Well, you've both been leading at the meta level, but let me give you a little quick snapshot. <laughs> 
that made me think about that. And hopefully this, this, this helps some leaders. But when we launched Connexus Church in 2007, uh, myself and Rich Birch, who runs Unseminary, some of, my, some of the leaders listening will know Rich, uh, we were on staff at the time launching Connexus. And I remember one of the decisions we had to make is where are we going to put our database? And we were just pivoting. Cloud-based computing was kind of new. The internet was getting faster. It had just toggled into broadband versus dial-up. And we debated, do we use an online server, like store our stuff in the cloud, or do we actually get like that big computer that sits in a room that you have to cool where we put our data? And, you know, we both kind of realized that it's probably the software in the cloud that is better protected than a computer sitting in an office that somebody could break through a window and steal all the data from or hack us online. Like, we are not privacy experts. Can you just comment on that for churches that are like patching their own networks together or thinking, no, we got this? Because uh, it is complicated. I mean, you get hacked, like, woo, that's a big deal. Yeah. And, you know, I've even in some of the glue board meetings said, you know, churches are at risk, right, of lawsuits for not handling data properly. Correct. Right. You know, and, you know, literally this could destroy, you know, entire congregations if not done properly. Right. Because your job is to have some of the most private, intimate data associated with people. That's part of what a church does. Right. You know, you know, reach them at their you know most intimate uh, levels. So against that, you know, I, you know, that's part of why, why Scott's comments on Glue and how we've architected the platform put enormous effort on being on the front end of many of these uh, security privacy uh, conversations. You know, and I do think churches today, you know, if you're running it in a, a PC that's sitting under your administrator's desk and that's where your core database is, you're at risk. And moving to cloud-based solutions today, you know, it gives you, you know, literally the best security experts on the planet are monitoring those cloud environments today, seven by 24 with large teams of people and some of the most advanced technologies is far more secure than you're going to be able to do right, yourself unless you're at the highest end of sophisticated churches today, which very few are. So in this, I say, boy, you're much, much better off uh, in that regard moving into some of the cloud-based uh, service offerings, SaaS offerings, as they're called, you know, cloud services that you can be buying and taking advantage of uh, from the cloud. And again, you know, let, let some of us help, you know, Glue and others, you know, these are areas that we uh, you know, are specialists in. We can help guide the right choices uh, in those areas, but it's time to make that move. Anything else about the founding of Glue? And then I want to get into uh, some of the other things that are coming down the uh, pike for uh, technology and churches, but anything about you and Linda joining the board or Scott, you and Teresa founding Glue that you want to add that would be relevant to leaders? Because I just think it's fascinating that uh, the two of you who could do at this point pretty much anything you want to do with life decide that your mission is going to be to provide safe technology for churches. Well, you know, it's just, uh, first of all, I think that the, the point that you make there is Teresa and Scott and Pat and Linda. Um, you know, this is from, from our standpoint, I know from Pat's standpoint, uh, it is, a, the two of us, Teresa and I leaning in on this. And I know when we're sitting and, and, and talking with, with Pat, he's got Linda there as well. And it's like, okay, Hey, are we doing this together? You know, and it's, we're doing it not only Pat and Scott, but we're doing it as couples. And I think that's right. a, really, a really important point. Tell uh, me why that's important to you. That is something that comes up in our conversations again and again. And I'd love to know, what is your heartbeat behind that? Well, I mean, the heartbeat is God's 
is, is God's design for oneness, you know, and, and, uh, you know, just the simple idea that, um, that, you know, the two of us come together, we, you know, we become one and, you know, we complete each other and we complement each other, uh, and we challenge each other in all the right ways. And so, you know, that's just, that, that's just core to, uh, what we are. And, you know, Pat and I were first introduced, uh, by Dennis Rainey at family life ministries. Okay. You know, so it, it, there is, there, there is even in, in the DNA of, of, of our, our relationship, you know, um, family ministry that, you know, have, has brought us together. So from my standpoint, okay. yeah, go ahead. Pat. Let, let me, let me jump in there, Carrie, as well, because, yeah. you know, in, uh, in my book on, uh, uh, balancing faith, family and work, the juggling act, right. You know, I talk about agree to agree. Mm. Right. And if you and your spouse don't agree on something, then one of you is schizophrenic. Right. Because God has called you to one. And if he's calling one of you to something and he doesn't call the other, you know, in that itself, hey, you know, God is not a schizophrenic God. He's going to bring both of you there or they're still learning for one or both of you in that decision making uh, process. And to me, this is so foundational right, to every relationship that you know, God has formed in this magical ceremony of matrimony. Right. You know, that truly two have become one. And in that mystery, you know, there's such great value if you partner with your spouse in every decision that you make of significance and saying, we're going to agree to agree. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, and, and I'm glad you started there, um, Scott, because I find for my wife, Tony and I, we've been married 30 years and like the next, I don't know how many decades you have left, three maybe, um, hopefully, it's a joint venture. Like we are working closer and closer together every year for shared objectives now that we're empty nesters and everything like that. So I think, I think that's a really good point. And it's like relationship goals for those of you who are early into your marriage and maybe, you know, we had a lot of bumps in the early years. So uh, there's hope ahead. Anyway, uh, that was a good excursus, but let's continue. <laughs> so uh, anyway, anything else about the founding of Glue? That's where we were going, Scott. Now we're just, you know, we're, we're just all in as Pat is, um, to be able to say, Hey, we've been, we've been blessed with lots of, um, capabilities and experiences and access to, to resources and, and, um, you know, the intelligences and, and, you know, we just, our job, um, our, our responsibility, our stewardship is to put that to work, to be able to serve people that are helping people grow. And that's what we're doing. So this, go ahead, Two of the things I would just add to that uh, as well, you know, as we've touched on already, this idea that technology and church, you know, having a company that sits right in the nexus of that, you know, that is being led by people of deep Christian uh, conviction as well. You know, to me, that's powerful, right? Because there are churches today, you know, I, I don't believe, you know, and I'll say, say this even more. If you're a, a physical only church, I think you're dead, right, in the future. Right. I just don't think that you're going to be able to survive right in this increasing digitally you know, connected world. And I truly believe there are going to be two types of churches going forward. There's going to be the digital church that is digital and physical or the church that's all digital. Right. And truly, it's only embodiment and representation. Right. Is in the virtual or digital uh, world. So having a company that's truly and uniquely focused right at the apex of those two coming together was very, very important for us you know, as part of Glue. You know, and finally, I think it's our great commission objective. Right. Go into all the world. Right. You know, and uh, remember, you know, he kicked the disciples out of Jerusalem. Right. He had to bring persecution to do it. 
go into all the world and the world is getting connected. How can we not be participating right in this greatest social transformation, you know, and maybe human history, you know, jump right in the middle of that. You know, yeah. I'm going to add one more thing to that. And as, as we talk about that, the, the, the network of the church goes across personal growth and it connects to everything. It's, it's secular. Okay. And it's also faith-based. So Glue is serving secular organizations that are intersecting with one another, faith-based organizations, you know, and so whether you've got a recovery center out there and it's a secular recovery center, we're there to serve it, right? right. And if you had a church, we're there to serve it. But these things all, like Pat said, they interconnect, right? Mm. Because there is no separation ultimately. It is just really connectivity of a global growth, personal growth, ecosystem. And we've got to bring capabilities and we've got to be able to bring technology, connectivity, all the things that Pat talked about to serve that. I want to, I want to shift gears for a second before we talk about people connect, which I want to get to, but one of the things that has come up was scale. And both of you have extensive experience with scale. I mean, Intel, VMware, which is a little more business to business than business to consumer, but uh, you know, Blockbuster, Boston Market, um, Einstein Brother Bagels, uh, Ancestry.com. I mean, you guys have scaled a lot of organizations. And last time you were on, you talked about working in, walking into the first Blockbuster store. What year was that, Scott? 1990? 85. 85. 1985, you walk into this local video store. And what do you think? I, I remember you telling me this. I think maybe it wasn't yeah, well, on the I podcast. Was, I, I, was, I walked into that store week one, day four, I was member 91 in the world. <laughs> A blockbuster. And I looked around and I said, this is really a good idea. There should be a lot of these. So wow. I jumped in and, 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 and partnered with them and ultimately became, you know, the president and chief operating officer to help that scale globally. Yeah. And you sold that, what, in the 90s? Like yeah. To Viacom? I, I, we, so. we sold that to Viacom in, in 90, uh, 93. That's right. So you've got you've got experience with scale, both of you do. And you mentioned this, I think it was you, Pat, earlier in the conversation today, where you said this is the opportunity for churches to really scale, like to really reach the world. And I mean, I've seen that. Welcome to my basement. I'm doing a podcast that has 13, 14 million downloads from my basement. Like it's crazy what can scale. I know a, a guy in Atlanta who scaled a virtual services company. $100 million in revenue in the last 10 years, and they don't have an office. He runs it out of his house. I've been to his house. So uh, church leaders are a little bit late to the party. Some of them are getting it, like Elevation understands that. Life Church understands it. Fresh Life Church, many other churches understand it. Uh, but I want you to talk about scale and some of the principles behind scale, because I think most of the people listening to this podcast, they want to reach more people. I'm going to assume that they have a growth bias. So talk about scale and the possibilities of online ministry. You know, when you think about your physical church, you know, the biggest ones get up to maybe physically, maybe up to 100,000 members. Yeah. Right. Campuses and so on like that. You know, I'm, do, I'm doing a uh, our VMworld conference next week. Right. And I will have 200,000 simultaneous people participating. Wow. Right. You know, just, you know, you know, the largest stadiums built. Right. You know, can't hold that many people. Right. And you go think about it. And, you know, the events that we'll do, we're going to have maybe 10 million participants in different of the classes and labs and so on that we do right over the life of that material. Right. You know, and if you think about that, you're sort of saying, 
wow. Right. You know, imagine if I said to, you know, if you and I, Carrie says we wanted to be able to reach 100,000 people, let's go start by building the stadium church to go do so. You know, we only need to raise maybe a billion and a half dollars to go do so. Right. You know, that's nuts. That right. You know, nuts. you couldn't even dream of that business case. But to say we're going to go reach, you know, 100,000 people online today, that's sort of like, OK, you know, let's let's get our, uh, you know, uh, media put together. That'll take a week, you know, and let's go get it up on uh, Facebook and let's go start some promotional activities. Great. You know, let's have 100,000 people participate in this service. Right. You know, it's you know, the scale aspects that are possible now because, you know, everybody is connected. The cloud computing capacity is there to deliver it. Right. Uh, you know, and the social networks are already assuming that that's the case. Mm. Right. And then you can sort of say, huh, you know, I'm not limited by being an hour north of Toronto. Literally every human connected on the internet has now become part of my potential congregation, you know, that I can deliver this uh, message to, you know, the scale aspects. And again, this is only going to accelerate, you know, as I already noted, you know, 90% of humanity will be persistently connected to the internet by 2030. Wow. Right. You know, 10 billion people are part of your potential congregation. That is simply mind blowing uh, in its uh, potential. Right. And let's run the capital campaign to go reach those people, you know, or let's start building the product services and media outreaches, you know, social networks that allow us to reach those people. You know, that's the fork in the road that the church faces today. Well said. Scott, your thoughts on scale. I mean, you've just done it so yeah, many well, times. I mean, for sure. And, and I, I say yes to everything that Pat just said. And we've got to also bring technology to scale the one-to-one and the one-to-few interactions as well, right? Because ultimately within that, you know, 200,000 million person, you know, de facto congregation, what's really going to change is all of those one-to-one, one-to-few, you know, interactions and how do you bring technology and scale to those personal growth core interactions within the context of that million congregation, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. it's, 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 you've got to look at the scaling of the macro audience and you got to look at the scaling of the micro yeah. interactions. Okay. Yeah. It's and the one to the million as well as the million one-to-ones. Exactly. Mm, yep. That's the million one to ones, the million one to fuse and the one to millions. Right. And when you get all of that working, that's where you've got really the power to be able to scale because you got to, you know, scale a video rental transaction, one transaction at a time. Right. And then you got to scale that across lots of places. Right. So scale right. always starts with what's the core interaction that you're trying to scale. And it is that relational interaction. And how do you bring the powers of, like Pat said, computer processing, connectivity, AI, okay, intelligence to bring superpowers to those interactions? Wow. Yeah. And you're right. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many customers, you know, in the day Blockbuster had or, or a technology company has. If I have a bad experience, I'm, I'm checking out. And if I get forgotten in the shuffle, and that's what megachurch is. I mean, as I've, I've, I've been, um, not every church is perfect, but, you know, megachurches that really grow and are effective have figured out how to get bigger, like fill that football stadium, not one at a time, but like, you know, thousand person rooms a hundred times on the weekend or 50 times on the weekend. Um, 
but but they've done small group really well and personal interaction really well. The one right. thing I know at Connexus Church, our church, which is only 1,500 people that's exploded during COVID is small groups, most of them virtual, right? right? It's that personal connection. People want to be connected, uh, not just watch a streaming message. So let's talk about People Connect because that's something that I have uh, uh, partnered with the two of you on and with Glue on to uh, help share with the wider church community, largely because I was so excited when you shared the idea, Scott. Um, I'm like, this is this is a solution that I think is really going to help people. So, what is the vision behind People Connect? Yeah, uh, People Connect is 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 really a very simple idea, and that is is that in this digital age, there are people out there that are coming to our web, the church websites, to the Recovery Center websites. There are people out there that are watching the streams. And we don't know who those people are. And mm-hmm. so we've been able to put technologies in place to not only be able to understand the people in your community with using compliant big data, but also being able to understand the people that are actually at your website, at your, at your children's pages, to be able to then create compliant audiences and to be able to help run I love the collaborative nature of People Connect because everybody's contributing to a fund that then can run wonderful, beautiful PSAs about the idea that churches care, churches are relevant, churches are ready to serve you in, you know, hope for, you know, anxiety or hope for your relationship. Relevant things. So we run these beautiful PSAs using all the technologies, gathering all of those people. And then we can connect them back to the right churches and to the right programs in a very simple, simple manner. So it's, it's, it's literally, you know, connect your website, fill out a profile and receive people that are, 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 are the right people for you. Well, it doesn't get any easier than that. But what happens in the background is now all of a sudden those churches are in a collaborative environment in terms of using cooperative data compliantly, using cooperative promotion in a great way that creates the right sentiment and using cooperative technologies, they get the economies of scale of all of that. Pat, anything you want to add to sort of the, the DNA of People Connect? Well, the thing, the thing, and I think uh, Scott touched on this idea, where all of a sudden, you know, everybody sort of says, boy, you know, if people can't come to my church, I got to go online. Right? But now every pastor is now speaking into this, you know, you're looking at this camera, you know, and you're lusting after that ability to get the reactions. Did mm. people hear me? Right. You know, when did they nod their head? You know, when did they flip open their Bible page? You're, you're lusting after that interaction that now, right, this inanimate camera that you're trying to show your passion, right, your, your humanity, right, you know, tell your stories through, huh, and I think everybody is struggling in this phase of how do I effectively connect, how do I get behind the camera, right, and now be able to reach, touch, and understand what's going on on the other side, you know, that's really what People Connect is trying to do, you know, we know now how to get our faces out to the internet, right? You know, reach our churches that way. But how do we get to the other side of the camera and pull them in so that I have real feedback, real understanding of what's going on? And when I show up for next week, hell, I know I got reactions this week, 
right? To what I said last week, now I know better how to connect with them. My small group leaders know what's happening on the other side. You know, the entire team can start saying, oh, you know, you know, this digital thing isn't a bad experience. Because remember, our objective in technology isn't to try to, you know, have a lousy form of what we did in the physical church. It's to have a better form Right, of what we can now do online and digitally as well. It's not one versus the other. How do I bring these together to enable more people to hear the cause of Christ? And again, I'll say the Great Commission wasn't a statement of how, right? You know, you know, we have to put on our sandals and go to every village. It was a statement of what? Make disciples. And how do I reach to the other side of the camera to do that more effectively? Yeah. So let's break this down. There's really three stages, if I've got this right. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you embed a pixel on your website. So lots of sites do this. That's why, you know, if I'm shopping for a pair of shoes, I don't buy. Next time on my social media, it's like all shoes everywhere I look, right? So that's just the way the internet works. Um, But there's this pixel that sort of helps identify who that person is. And then there's a social media campaign, as you say, a PSA campaign, and it's white labeled. It's not labeled with your church, but it's a collective social media campaign where it might say, you know, struggling with loneliness or anxiety or, you know, whatever uh, that happens to be. But it's just basically a, a church's care kind of campaign. I, if I interact with that, that will give me an opportunity to identify myself, to say, yeah, I'm Carrie. I've been watching, you know, Connexus Church and... Uh, I'm I'm really interested like in in finding out more about that church and then I fill out my contact information voluntarily and it gets delivered to that church's inbox with like hey Connexus meet Carrie he's been watching your church online and would love to connect personally is that it that's it that's it okay now you have seeded because the two of you have raised quite a bit of capital for glue you have seeded uh, through private investment, the social media campaign with a million dollars of seed money. So it's already funded. And can you explain that? What is what what does that buy you? Like that is something 99% of all churches, 99.9% of all churches do not have the ability to do to run a campaign at that level. Yeah, that's what we've done. We've seeded that 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 campaign fund with a million dollars. And what we do is we take 50% of the let's say for a small church, a thousand dollars. We take fifty percent of that thousand dollars, five hundred dollars, and now all of a sudden there's a million five hundred dollars in that campaign, gotcha. right? So the more churches that join, the more power in the campaigns, right? And right. then we bring Carrie back to a beautiful directory of that church. Hey, this is what this church is about in a really simple, clear, clean way. Okay. And to your point, connect them back into that church. But yeah, we fund, we seed the campaign, and then every dollar that's coming into People Connect, fifty percent of it goes to further add fuel to that overall campaign. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's super clear. Um, how? Do, uh, yeah. Uh, how have you funded Glue? Like, have you got private people who are funding that, or how does how does this work out? Yeah, we, we, we funded Glue. It's a private company. Uh, it is a for-profit company, which we think is, is, is really important so that we're able to access capital that wouldn't normally be available to the, 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 the church ecosystem. And we're not competing with the church for donation dollars mm. from the same people that they're trying to get dollars from. Right. Okay. So we created it as a for-profit private company, and it's been funded over the last 10 years 
through a, a, a couple forms. Number one, uh, through uh, private investors like Pat and myself and Teresa and Linda, uh, as well as it's been um, funded by uh, revenue that comes in from the churches that are part of, you know, leveraging the services and, um, and, and the parachurches and the recovery centers that have been involved with us. Wow, okay. That's great. So you have other investors who are like, they believe in it too, and, and they're trying to help. I also think that often the difference between profit and not-for-profit is you pay taxes or not. So, right? <laughs> That's it. It's just like- Everybody's for-profit. If, if you don't make a profit, you close your doors. Okay. Correct. The only question is whether you're tax exempt or whether you're taxable. Yeah. But everybody's yeah. got to make a profit. Right, right. You got to at least break even or else uh, or yeah. else the days are short, right? Yeah. yeah. No you said there's a number of donors that have adopted a city by scholarshiping churches in a city. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, it's super exciting. Um, you know, all, all across the country, city movements have been organic movements for, yeah. for decades, right? You know, a bunch of people try to get together and they solve homelessness or foster care or you name it, you know, within, you know, you know, within, within a, a teen addictions within a city. Right. So what, what we're finding with, with, uh, with, with people connect is that donors in cities are really liking the idea of get, Hey, a hundred churches in my city leveraging people connect. So we can have these PSAs, these, these ad campaigns, these, these, these social, social media stuff. Yeah. Social media campaigns running not just at the national level, but also at the city level. So a little bit like, think about it like with Blockbuster, right? Right. At Blockbuster, we would have like, make it a Blockbuster night, you know? Mm -hmm. We would run that across the whole country. And then Dallas would say, make it a Blockbuster night with the Dallas Cowboys, okay? Mm -hmm. And they would run that at the, at, 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 at the Dallas level, right? And then the store itself would say, hey, make it a Blockbuster night in Richardson, Texas, right? So- so that same capability is basically being leveraged here. And then, so these donors are loving the idea of catalyzing, you know, a sufficient number of churches in their geography, which does a couple things. Number one, it gets those churches going. Number two, it gets them all on a connected network, like Pat was saying. So now they're all connected to each other. And number three, those donors are actually being able to see um, what, what's happening on, on digital dashboards across those churches and across their city. And they are really, they are really going for it. Uh, we're really, we're really uh, uh, excited to see uh, people adopt cities and to be able to start being a catalyst for their city. I mean, Pat, he he knows he, you know, that transforming the bay is a city movement himself. I mean, he totally is a founder in that. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that, Pat? Yeah, I would say you know we, we have ours here. Right, which is one of when we came back to the Bay Area, I like to joke that uh, you know God was uh, giving me the job of being CEO so I could have a platform to start TBC, transforming the Bay with Christ. Right, we're gonna you know uh, amplify works of service. We're gonna unify the Christian leadership. We're gonna multiply churches in the Bay Area. You know, today we have seven, eight hundred churches that are participating with TBC in the Bay Area, and uh, you know as I joke, you know this is the least uh, it's the most influential area on earth. It's the least churched area yeah. in the nation. You know, it has the uh, largest per capita income on the planet and one of the lowest philanthropic rates in the nation. Wow. Okay. So I call it, you know, my mission field is rich, influential, miserly pagans. 
<laughs> so I'm called to serve. That's so well said. Right? You know, here in the Bay Area. But as we think about that as well, this idea of city gospel movements and, you know, with a movement day, with the Palau organization, and Kevin Palau is on the board of TBC with me. It really is how can we have the churches collective, right? You know, John 17, you know, that you would be one, right? You know, and really uh, bringing that idea together. And then being able to combine that with data, right, and, uh, you know, glue and people connect, you start to say, how am I doing? What's being affected in my area? And everybody's learning from everybody, right, as they start to benefit from that uh, as well. What are the needs in this zip code compared to that zip code? And how has that gone? And all of a sudden, you're really starting to be able to benefit by the community, by the philanthropy, right, of the community saying, hey, let's uplift all of our churches in our area and really bringing about a gospel movement of a city, right? And that really is exciting to us and Linda, and we've been uh, deeply invested in that uh, here in the Bay Area. As an example, we're connecting that up with uh, glue in a very big way. Anything else you want to share about People Connect? Then I got one or two other questions. We're coming up on time, so I want to be respectful. You're both extremely busy, so thank you. No, I think you got it. I think you've got it. The It's just, you know, with with technology you're always working to try to get to simplicity on the far side of complexity, right? Technology is really complex. And if you look at it, you know, what we've got to do and with what people connect does is there's massive technologies underneath it, Mm. but it gets it to super simple, right? Well, and you don't have to, like nobody individually can do what you guys have done. This is what gets me. Right. No, it it takes, it's the collective, right? It is the Mm. connected the connective tissue of the body, right? And that's that's that is the idea. Technology that allows the body to be the body ultimately. But it's about simplicity. And and I think people connect is the best of both. That connectivity and the simplicity to be able to do the job, like Pat said, of get those people from being, you know, numbers on a screen to be able to be people that we've got relationships with and that we're helping grow. All right. So final question. I want to look to the future. One of the things I'm hearing over and over and over again, and here we are seven months into the pandemic, uh, and I get this almost every day from church leaders. It's like, Carrie, people are Zoomed out and screened out. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I, don't, I wouldn't bet the future on that. Any thoughts on where the future is going when it comes to technology and the church and how people behave? You've, you've touched on that already in different ways, but I want to close there because the degree of resistance to screens and so on is is just fascinating to me. Let's let's talk about the future and where we might be in a few years. Well, you know, the first I'd say is while while there certainly are aspects to that, and what when I got a call from my seven year old granddaughter complaining about how many Zoom sessions she was on for her school that day, right? It was sort of like, okay, now my seven year old is complaining about being, <laughs> you know, zoomed out, right? Uh, but have we started to leave? social media? Are we doing less social? Have, have you gotten rid of your Facebook account or right? You know the other ways? The answer is no, not by any means. And it's, you know, we've all, you know, we're, we're becoming very, very digitally connected in different ways. And now the question is, how's the church going to use that? Right? People aren't leaving these. And in the COVID era, yeah, we're a little bit numbed by it right now as we have lost all forms of physical connection. Right, you know, as well, and you know, maybe it's a year until we have a widely deployed uh, vaccine that's been well accepted. So we're still going to be here a while, 
right, uh, at that level. But it really is this question. And I just, I, I think, you know, it, you know, was God on the throne in the great influenza? Yes, yes he was, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and it, it, you know, it's not a question of whether these things are going to come. What is God doing, right, in my church, in my community, in our nation, in our world, in this period of time? And I do think it's a kick in the butt. Right to the church to say, embrace these opportunities because my job isn't for you to build a big building. It is for you to reach people and embrace technology as an effective way to reach people at you know a scale, a capacity. Right, you know, and maybe two, you know, just a little story, uh, Carrie. I was uh, uh, you know uh, one of my customers, big CIO for one of the big banks. Right, he tells me, he says, you wouldn't believe it, Pat. The board of directors directors brought me in and they gave me a standing ovation for how we responded to COVID, right? When was the last time a CIO, right? You know, make the email work, gets a standing O from his board of directors, right? You know, the technology person, right? Became the most important person to that business. Wow. Every church leader needs to think that same way as well. Who was your most important person? Was it your worship leader? And maybe your small group leader, you know, maybe your executive pastor. No, your tech person needs the standing O because he's the most important person on your ministry team uh, at this point. You know, and our objective is just help to give those people the tools that truly are going to take this dramatic period of human history when everybody's coming online right, and uh, participating to be able to truly hear the gospel of Christ wherever they are in whatever language they're in and connecting them up to the social fabric that will truly disciple them into the you know, God-chosen right, humanity that they would become like him. Mm. Scott, final word. <clears throat> yeah, I, the, you know, COVID is, is in, 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 in so many respects, just leapfrogging us into the future, right? So many of these things were going to happen over time, but the social norms are always the hardest things to change. And what COVID did is it did a, 360 or a 180 on the social norm. Okay. Mm -hmm. As it related to being in person versus to be on a screen. Hey, over the last two decades, church attendance already had gone from three times a month to one time a month. Yeah. Okay. So listen, there was already a gap that the churches weren't paying attention to. Correct. Paying attention to people in the gap between face-to-face times together is critical. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's like not only Sunday to Sunday, but that gap, what's going on on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, how are you encouraging? How are you helping? How are you being able to do all those things that, that, that Pat was talking about? And, you know, when they, when they go back, they're going to be going back once a month. They're not going to be going back four times a month, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I would agree with that. I haven't talked to a single expert who would disagree on that in so, 2020. So, you know, just get your, get your arms around the idea of, you know, to, to, to Pat's point that we've got to have a bimodal approach. We've got to have a digital approach. We've got to have a face-to-face approach. And how do we bring technology to service in the gap between our face-to-face times together? You know, that's what's got to happen. And not everybody can afford a full-time CIO. Yeah. And that's why Glue yeah. is here, okay? To be able to bring technologies and capabilities, economies of scale, and, and, and basically be that CIO in a box to be able to help those churches, um, you know, scale and to be all that they were created to be, help those pastors, you know, help the congregants, help the small group leaders, 
yeah, we're just pumped. We're pumped for the moment. Um, it's been a, a, a decade long journey that we've been on yeah. and we feel like, you know, we've just gotten to the right place at the right moment. Um, and we're, we're delighted to serve. I mean, I'm so grateful for, uh, Linda and for Pat, uh, for their partnership, the people that we've got at glue, our other board members, our other investors, you know, our employees and our partners, the churches that have been serving us and working with us as we've been serving them because they've been co-creating this with us, you know, and we're, 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 we're just grateful for that. Uh, I'm grateful for uh, also you, Carrie, in terms of what you're doing, in terms of being a voice uh, of leadership and, you know, our partnership with Barna and David Kinnaman, you know, it's just, there, there's, there's just so much that's coming together right now at, that, that can get knitted together to be able to serve the church in a very unique and simple and powerful way. Well, I want to thank you. You've both been so generous with your time. Pat, thank you so much. Scott, thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, conversations like that really feed into my passion to connect with world-changing leaders. I mean, USB and Wi-Fi and Blockbuster Video and like somebody who's scaled like Scott, I find it such a privilege to have those conversations. Hey, just a reminder, we did refer to it in the interview as People Connect, but it is now renamed Glue Connect. And if you're interested, you can learn more at glueconnect.church forward slash carry. And um, it's so funny because, you know, you're like, well, why didn't you re-record the episode? What I'm learning in working with entrepreneurs like Scott and getting to know people like Pat is change happens really, really fast and they're not afraid to pivot. So anyway, yeah, you record an interview one day and then it's broadcast the next and things change. Hey, I long to see that kind of iteration in the church, to be honest with you. So anyway, you know, if you're interested, you can find out more at glueconnect.church forward slash Carrie. And of course, we have show notes and all the rest over at carrienewhoff.com uh, as well. I've got a what I'm thinking about segment. I'm going to talk to you about lies about online church. This is something I'm really passionate about and I uh, want to share a couple of them with you. And next episode, I'm so excited to bring you Andy Stanley. So in July, Andy made national news when he announced North Point would not reopen until 2021. And so kind of asked him why and what methodology he uses to find clarity, what he's learning about preaching to a camera and the hardest part of the pandemic for him personally. Here's an excerpt. I had such a hard time finding my new rhythm. You know, Joel Thomas. Yeah, uh, yeah very well. I was the lead pastor here for many years. Um, I called Joel. No, he, he texted me. He said uh, something along the lines of, this isn't a direct quote, but basically, I don't know what to do. I'm like, me neither. I, there's so much that needs to be done. My routine is so messed up. And I am honestly, I feel like I'm busier than ever. But part of it is just the routine. So that's the, the, the personal side. Um, our daughter got married in the middle of this. That was, that was interesting. Um, and it has been challenging to know how to lead our staff because I don't see our staff very often. That's next time on the podcast. And of course, subscribers, you get it for free and automatically. Thank you for sharing episodes that mean a lot to you. Uh, I do watch for that online. We're really, really grateful for you. You are the people who uh, make this show what it is. And uh, I love being able to serve you. If you subscribe, you're going to get episodes from, uh, well, not only Andy, but John Gordon, Todd Wilson, Lisa Turkhurst, William Vanderblumen, Beth Moore, Mark Batterson, Patrick Lencioni, and so many others are coming up on the podcast. And so now it's time for what I'm thinking about. What I'm thinking about is brought to you by Remodel Health. If you want to save, uh, well... Our listeners have saved over $2 million so far. 
on healthcare next year, go to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry. And you can learn how your organization can save and buy ServeHQ's brand new homeschool magnet student experience. You can learn more and join the growing wait list at homeschoolmagnet.com. So I'm thinking about uh, weird lies that pastors, church leaders believe about church online. So I hear this all the time. So if, if you follow my writing, not just this podcast, although you'd get this you know, on the podcast too, I'm not afraid of technology. And I mean, as somebody who started this podcast in my basement and still does it from my basement, um, I know that you can reach the world in a far better way digitally than you can in analog. I mean, standing out in my front yard and having these conversations uh, probably isn't going to draw much of a crowd. But for some reason, when we have them behind a microphone and share them on the internet, um, well, lots of you show up. So anyway, uh, here's what I keep hearing. And, and these are lies I think we have to get past because Everybody you want to reach is online. Everybody you want to influence is online. That's true if you're a business. It's true if you're a church leader. But here's what leaders are telling me. They're saying, you know what, Carrie? This is lie number one. People are screened out. And I get it. Okay, so yesterday I had like 11 hours of Zoom calls. I was screened out, but I still watched The Office before I went to bed. I don't know why. Uh, I mean, do I want to live that way? No, I don't want to live that way. However, if you really think, well, the reason people aren't on my site is because they're screened out, mm, I don't think so. If you think people are screened out, run your theory by the creators of TikTok or Instagram. I think they're going to tell you that, no, it apparently uh, people are not screened out. Uh, they're not as done with screens as you think. Um, in 2019, for the first time ever, the amount of daily minutes people spend on their mobile devices surpassed the amount they spent watching TV. The average American spends 152 minutes a day on social media alone. So if you're offline, you're going to miss it. And you might be a little bit tired. And you may want to go for a walk in the woods, and, and that's great. But I here's what I think is going on. People are screened out on things that aren't interesting to them. They're screened out on bad content. But are they screened out? Nope. Here's another thing. People have actually said this to me. I, as I was writing this on, on my website, I couldn't believe it. But somebody said to me, you know what, Carrie? The internet is temporary. And I'm like, mm, really? Really? I, I, I don't think so. And I've heard variations of this. Like when everyone can come back in person, they will. Or people just don't like technology or online won't last. It's just not, it's just going to get, it's a bridge to get people back in the building. Personally, I would not bet the future on the internet being temporary, okay? And, and now I get it. People have a hard time with change. People have a hard time with technology. There was an article written in 1985. So I'm old enough to remember 1985. This is from the New York Times. And I quote from a columnist who was writing about the invention of the laptop computer. I remember in 1984, I was in first year of college, I saw... Um, somebody show up to class with a laptop and I'm like, whoa, what is that? And I thought, man, that guy's rich. I think it cost him $6,000, like back in, in the 80s. That's like an insane amount of money even today. Anyway, this is what the New York Times columnist had to say about laptop computers. Quote, on the whole, people don't want to lug a computer with them to the beach or on a train to while away the hours that they would rather spend reading the sports or business section of the newspaper. Somehow, the microcomputer industry has assumed that everyone would love to have a keyboard grafted on as an extension of their fingers. It is just not so. Well, fast forward a couple of decades and people pretty much have a keyboard grafted on as an extension of their fingers. Now, I get it, right? It doesn't, the future never makes sense from the present, 
But just because you don't like something or fully understand something doesn't mean it isn't true. I would not bet the future on the internet being temporary. And then finally, online relationships aren't real relationships. Uh, people just say that all the time. Well, you know, people now meet online in like dating relationships more than they get introduced in person or by friends and family or actually by churches. So that's a new phenomenon. And saying online relationships aren't real relationships is a little like saying online shopping isn't real shopping. I don't think that's going to win the day. Uh, now, do I think online relationships should end up in real life? Of course, right? If you meet online, you don't want to keep it online. You want to meet in real life. But this idea that the stuff that happens online isn't real, I think has got to go. So um, those are just a few thoughts. Uh, I don't know what you would have to think, but about every day I send an email newsletter to about 75,000 leaders. And if you haven't signed up for that yet, you can do it by texting my name, Carrie, to 33777. That's Carrie to 33777. That'll sign you up for our newsletter. And it's really short. It's not long, like under 100 words usually, links to some content I hope you will find helpful. We got about 75,000 leaders we serve pretty much every day uh, on that list. So if you'd like to join that, I share thoughts like this and more. Plus, you'll never miss an episode of this podcast as well if you subscribe to that. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I really love this. And I would say as far as real relationships go, uh, six months into not flying anywhere, you know what I miss? I miss you guys. I love it. When I, I don't miss airports. I do not miss flights. I don't miss restaurants. Don't miss hotels. But I miss you guys. And I love it when I land in a city and you come up and go, hey man, I'm a podcast listener. And then we talk and we share stories and that day will come back again soon. But in the meantime, we got this. And as far as I'm concerned, it's pretty real. So thanks so much for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.